On July 1st of 1996, the National Basketball Association, also known as the NBA, held their annual draft. Now, draft day is a time for all 30 teams to select the very best picks. They usually only get two picks in their draft order to help improve their teams in hopes of winning an NBA championship. Many of these players were coming fresh out of college, but at the same time, there were a few who were trying to be drafted straight out of high school. In a league that boasts that it has the best of the very best players in the world, it's imperative that each team has done their homework and that they choose their picks wisely. Now, the Charlotte Hornets at that particular time stood picking the 13th pick in the lottery that year, and when it came time for them to make their selection, they chose a young player by the name of Kobe Bryant. Bryant was the youngest player in the draft that year, at the tender age of 17, and he was coming straight out of Lower Marion High School where he was averaging 31 points per game, and he had clipped the high school record set by Wilt Chamberlain holding the scoring title in the state of Pennsylvania. I have to tell you, Bryant was a risky pick, but he had the potential to be an NBA superstar. But not long after the Hornets drafted him with their 13th pick, they immediately traded him to the Los Angeles Lakers for their starting center named Vladi Divac. While the Hornets had lucked up at being able to take Bryant at number 13, they decided that it was way too risky to keep him on their team, and so they went for the sure thing in trading for Divac. Now, Divock was a center for the Lakers who was averaging 17.4 points per game, and he had been in the league for seven years, and they knew that he could fulfill the void at center that would help them win games. No one knew at that particular time, on that particular day, if the Hornets or the Lakers would come out better in the deal, but only time would tell. As we turn to our scripture today in Matthew's gospel, Jesus shares two parables that deal with someone stumbling upon an opportunity that has the potential to pay off big. You could call it taking a risk. And Jesus tells these parables in a larger discourse of seven parables, and he is very elaborate on two of the seven. We know them as the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And yet he is much shorter and pointed in content with the other five. Now, we've looked at two of those already. You remember Jesus teaches a parable about a mustard seed and yeast, making a point that the kingdom of heaven may seem insignificant like a small mustard seed, but it's of great importance. And likewise, that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that is spread through the dough and has an effect on every part, even though it might be hidden from plain sight. So Jesus brings these parables to the forefront in his discourse and then he moves here to ours today saying this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. As a child, I loved the idea of finding hidden treasure and when we would go to the beach during the summers I would take our metal detector and I would spend time walking all over the beach trying to find something of worth that no one else knew was there. Even though I never found anything of value I always held out hope that I would and honestly it never stopped me from searching. 
As we think about this parable today, Jesus doesn't tell us how this man found this treasure. I don't think that he had a metal detector in his day in which he could find it and acknowledge that it was there. The real question is, why was this guy in another guy's field digging around in the first place? And when he finds this buried treasure, rather than telling the landowner that he's found it, he devises a plan to go and sell everything that he owns so that he could make an offer to the landowner on that field. It kind of seems a bit dishonest, doesn't it? I mean, why is there hidden treasure in a field and why is Jesus holding up a dishonest man as a hero? You see, it wasn't uncommon for people in Palestine to bury their valuables Now, they lived in a very tumultuous area of the world in which war could easily break out at any moment. And burying their treasures would ensure their safety and would allow for the opportunity for them to come back when it was safe to do so and to recoup their things. Yet, should someone die, their treasures would remain buried without anyone knowing about it. More than likely, the man found the hidden treasure when plowing the field for the landowner and just happened to stumble upon it. After finding it, he reburied it, assuming that the landowner had no idea where it was and that it was there in the first place. But if the landowner knew that the treasure existed, he would have gone and dug it up before he sold him the property. So recognizing the value of this hidden treasure, he decides to take action by offering all of his money to purchase this field. I'm sure that the landowner thought he was getting the better deal out of this, but he had no idea that the treasure was right there on his property. You see, Jesus focuses on the hidden treasure, not on the man. The kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure. Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel that the kingdom of heaven is near and that we need to repent Is it possible that the kingdom of heaven is right here in front of our faces, but we have no idea that it's here? Is it possible that we are not looking for the kingdom of heaven and that sometimes when we're not looking for it, we can just stumble upon it and find it? And if so, what are we to do with it when we do find it? These, I think, are the questions that this parable raises for us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven being like a merchant who was looking for fine pearls. Now, merchants were not highly esteemed in Jesus' day. Many questioned their motives and felt like they were dishonest moneymakers. Merchants were always looking for a deal to buy merchandise cheap so that they could mark it up and resell it for a profit. A modern-day equivalent for us might be a pawn shop dealer. Now, this particular merchant was looking for fine pearls, and most people living in Galilee would never see a pearl in their lifetime. Pearls came from the Red Sea or from the Persian Gulf, or maybe some even had to travel as far as India to find them. Inferior pearls came from the Red Sea, which was closest to where they were, while better ones came from the Persian Gulf and from the coasts of India. Pearls in the ancient world were very much like diamonds to us today. In fact, ancient sources report that some pearls would be worth more than $10 million in today's currency. 
Needless to say, the merchant was looking for fine pearls, and what he found was one that he could not resist. Rather than buying pearls in bulk that weren't as great for resale, he went back home, he sold absolutely everything that he had, and then he bought one pearl. You see, the merchant stumbled upon an offer he couldn't refuse, even at the risk of losing his own business. After this transaction, he could no longer be a merchant unless he sold the pearl he had sold out for. This, my friends, is a life-changing transaction for him. And on the surface, it would appear that both the peasant and the merchant made the ultimate sacrifice for the treasures that they had found. They went and sold everything they had so they could possess the treasure. They liquidated their home. Their cars, their clothes, their food, their retirement accounts to purchase what they felt was of greatest value. And neither of them anticipated that they would stumble upon what they found. And neither of them hesitated or second-guessed what they should do once they found it. They recognized the opportunity before them and they responded very quickly. But I have to tell you, both the peasant and the merchant they both understood exactly what they were doing. Surely there were others who thought they were crazy for doing something so impulsive. And I'm sure they heard whispers of the critics who were talking about how foolish they seemed to be. But despite the criticism that they may have received, they were proud of what they had done. You see, they didn't view their decisions as sacrifices Rather, they saw their decisions as smart business opportunities. In their minds, they had traded up and not down. You know, maybe that's what Jerry Buss, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, thought when he offered Vladi Divac to the Charlotte Hornets in exchange for Kobe Bryant. While others might have thought that the decision was too risky and foolish, he didn't hesitate to trade up for him. There's always the chance that a trade like that could set the franchise back financially and even competitively. But only time would tell if his investment would make him a smart man. The Charlotte Hornets refused to be risky, though, taking the sure thing. It was a safe decision that would help them fill a gap for them. But looking back, it was probably the most foolish decision that the Hornets have ever made in franchise history. Do you know how many championships the Hornets have won with Vladi Divac? None. Do you know how many championships the Charlotte Hornets have won in their history of the franchise? None. In fact, Vladi Divac only played two seasons with the Hornets before going to the Sacramento Kings. But the Lakers, the Lakers refused to play it safe because they felt that they had found a diamond in the rough. Just like the man who found the hidden treasure, or the merchant who found a pearl of great value, the Lakers have found a 17-year-old kid that would soon become a Hall of Fame player and who would lead them to five NBA championships. They stumbled upon a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and they wasted no time to make an offer that would secure Kobe's presence on their team. Their persistence and their risk-taking paid off for them. But what about you? Have you stumbled upon the hidden treasure, the diamond in the rough? And if so, how have you responded to it? 
You see, I think all of us would say that we believe that God is the greatest treasure of all. We believe that with all of our hearts. The real question is, what do we do with that treasure? When God opens our eyes to find what was hidden, how do we respond to that? Are we like a merchant who sells everything he has to possess this great pearl of great price? Or we stick to the game plan rather than taking the opportunity of a lifetime? I've seen people in my own life respond positively to the treasure, just like the merchants. I went to seminary with a fellow who was 62 years of age when he began in my class. He knew that God was calling him to move into action. He could have easily made excuses like, I'm too old for this, or I haven't been in school since I was in college. But he never did that. He sought out seminary. Even though it wasn't cost-effective for him, nor was it convenient for him to be away from his wife every Saturday for six years, nor was it convenient for him to drive three and a half hours early in the morning to start class at 8 a.m., nor was it convenient for him to drive back home after 5 p.m. another three and a half hours every single week. He never once complained about doing it. He was always joyful that God had made this possible for him. And to be honest, he is still joyful to this very day, despite the many struggles and the health issues that he and his wife have faced along the way. And if you asked him today if it was a sacrifice, he would tell you, no, I traded up. But the truth is, is that God doesn't call all of us to seminary. God doesn't even call all of us away from home to be missionaries overseas either. God doesn't even call all of us to sell all our possessions and to follow him, but he might call some of us to do that. The real actors here in this story are not the men who respond, but the treasure and the pearl. They may seem to us as passive objects, but their value determines the actions of the men who find them. And no one instructs them on what they should do. They already know how they should respond. And the immense joy of discovery compels them to respond by selling everything that they have to attain this great treasure. You see, I think the first key word that's so important for us in the very first parable is joy. In his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field When you and I find the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, the grace and the mercy of God, the forgiveness that wipes away all of our sin, we can have no other response than joy. And truth be told, we should recognize that selling out for God is not a sacrifice. It's trading up for something far more valuable. I believe that's what the psalmist thought when he wrote our psalm today. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Think about that for just a moment. To be in God's presence every day, to gaze upon his glorious beauty and to seek him where he is. Now that, my friends, is trading up. And there's inexpressible joy when we find this treasure that compels us to do things that may seem odd to others around us, but is far worth 
the risk. Have you traded up? And if so, what is God calling you to do in response? And will you do it? All I know is that once we experience the joy of finding this treasure, we are compelled to sell out in every area of our lives as a visible witness to what we have found. For faith will not allow us to play it safe. Faith is always about taking the risk. And where there is faith, there is also joy. And where there is joy, there are absolutely no regrets. So friends, my prayer for all of us is that you and I would not be afraid to sell out, to trade up for the greatest treasure of all, for the kingdom of heaven here on this earth even as it exists in heaven. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.